ஷேக் அப்துல் ரஹ்மான் புக் ஆத்தர் ஹீஸ் மோர் பாப்புலர்லி நோன் இன் கேரளா ஆஸ் ஷார்ஜா ஷேக் அஃப்கோர்ஸ் விச் இஸ் நாட் டு பி கன்ஃபியூஸ்ட் வித் த மில்க் ஷேக் பட் எஸ் கட் யூ கோ வெயிட் டஸ் மில்க் ஷேக் கால் ஷார்ஜா ஷேக் எஸ் வாவ் வாவ் ஆஃப்லைன் ஆஃப்டர் திஸ் கால் யா ஆஃப்லைன் ஆஃப்டர் திஸ் டிவி எம்பயர் டு டைரக்டர் we have a player review can we rock and roll please Welcome to episode 8 of Bits and Pieces, the cricket podcast about everything except any expertise in cricket. Once again, we have a panel and our panel is comprised of completely new people. Let's start with London. Whenever I tell people that I am from Abu Dhabi and I went and studied in Trichy, followed by a brief career in consulting and then journalism, people then really turn to me and say, then well, then you must be Sid and Sunny Vadukut. I say yes and that is why he gets all those inappropriate DMs in his Twitter. Joining us all the way from London uh with some great expertise in cricket which mostly is about some hilarious blog posts and some amazing stuff on Cricket Info. Here is Sidin Vadukut. Hello 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 bits and pieces. Hi PGK. Uh, thank you for having me. Very nice introduction by the way. Uh, you've yes. come you've uh, deftly covered up the fact that I have had nothing to do with cricket for approximately 10 years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is truly transcontinental because Sidin joins us from the home of cricket in London. Um till now we've had people from Australia, we have had people from India. Uh and speaking of Trichy, please say hello to Srinath Shripath. Uh Shrinath is the only person in this podcast actually one of two people in this podcast who knows a little bit about cricket he also has the distinction of attending the second best engineering college on the Trichy Tanjavur highway I I didn't realize Shastra would ever make an appearance on this podcast PGK but thanks for the intro Sidin's joining from the home of cricket I'm joining from the home of Sidin in Trichy <laughs> <laughs> It's, that's a little bit like saying the second best political party in China but yes let's go <laughs> Now, from Trichy, we jump across the border. And here is Tony. You can't see Tony, but Tony is smiling really widely because Sanju Samson had a phenomenal day yesterday. Tony joins us from Bombay and Tony is here to support all his Malayali brethren and, of course, talk a little bit about cricket. Say hi, Tony. Hi, hi. And rounding off this panel today is Kaustab. Kaustab joins us from Bombay and he's surrounded by enthusiastic idli sellers and he's the other person who does some great work on cricket professionally apart from the rest of us you can dm him too because he has magical fingers that's responsible for the beautiful edits of this podcast so say hi Kaustab Hi hi all uh, I was just telling Sinat the other day like my trichy connection is that uh, my uh, maternal hometown is from trichy and like I visited once in 2001 because my folks thought it would be nice to take me to parni and uh, have me cosplay as uh, colina the referee so <laughs> i was like complete i was completely tonsured for 3 months and that was my time in trichy that was my only time in the year 2000 2001 incidentally 2001 is also the time that sirin must have just left trichy leaving behind his 4 years of trauma and that was the year that i was entering trichy ready to begin my 4 years of trauma you mentioned trichy and uh, idli uh, can i just take a segue away from cricket to bring up my trichy memory uh, which is basically that uh, trichy is ob- <laughs> obviously not known for great south indian food i'm guessing so i went for like a guest lecture in iim trichy which happened to be on the nit trichy campus 
and then the prof who invited me is like good good you are here um, uh, so after class is like this this uh, new thai restaurant that's launched uh, i've been wanting to try it out for a while i'm like wow okay i thought trichy was like a small town there's a thai restaurant chalo let's go try it out and we reach there and uh, the menu is uh, exclusively idli and dosa and this guy's like uh, it's a thai also restaurant. thai pongal yeah it's it's a thai restaurant <laughs> why do you have idli and uh, vada and basically the guy said that's the name of the restaurant thai thai means uh, mother in in tamil obviously so uh, that was my uh, you know basic uh, introduction to trichy as it were and the thai restaurant there also i don't know if sidin knows this but i am trichy the first campus that it had was actually the nit trichy library that was their campus literally they took the library and said this is the iim trichy i'm happy that uh, trichy continues to specialize in disappointing people you know from restaurants to actually joining an iim <laughs> um i once i once went to the friend i remember this was the day air force 1 came out so this is literally in another century and i went out with a friend to eat some food and at one of those roadside places in trichy near the bus stand mm. and uh, we had idli and uh, mutton curry or something like that and then all, a bunch of very burly guys came around us and said it's 90 rupees per person and uh, uh, we just paid them 90 rupees per person and then we went we were so depressed because we just they essentially swindled us so to get over it we actually went and saw air force one again so uh, one of the more <laughs> one of the more uh, valiant things i've done in my life is uh, see two shows of air force one sandwiched around idli with mutton curry trichy will always have its way with you As you can see, two of our panelists from the state of Kerala, two of our panelists from the wonderful state of Tamil Nadu, and quite appropriately, there is me sandwiched in the middle, just like KL Rahul when he's stuck in the middle in a T20 game. This is me. I'm Praveen Gopal Krishnan, and we are rounding off this panel. So right now, uh, India is playing West Indies. Uh, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka. <laughs> they just finished playing West Indies. Wow, it just looks like one continuous stretch. <laughs> It's basically they just finished playing West Indies, and now they are playing Sri Lanka. Um, and it looks like they played three T20s uh, with West Indies, three ODIs with West Indies. You can't even keep track anymore. It's just a blur of just beating. And now it's Sri Lanka team has started, and it looks like another blur of beating has just begun. Uh, is anyone watching this game? Do you want to just quickly talk about it for like five to ten minutes? Five to ten minutes is is uh, is longer than any of us have watched these games. Uh, sorry, Sri Lanka. <laughs> longer than Sri Lanka literally plays the game. <laughs> I think Sidan will feel right at home, right? He said he's back at cricket ten years later, just like any other day. India playing Sri Lanka today. That's there's nothing has changed at all <laughs> in over a decade now. Back when I used to write for Cricket Info, ten uh, percent of all cricket was the Sri Lankan national anthem. <laughs> uh, of all cricket, any like any, you just randomly do a sample size, and it's somebody singing the Sri Lankan national anthem. It's uh, bad, it's weird. Which has quite a bit of Namo in it, so yeah. uh whatever quickly moving on but i i think <laughs> one of the fascinating things about this series is that uh, sri lanka was literally like two days before this playing a series in australia and uh, i remember when like concord was first introduced uh, there was some funda wherein you could uh, take a flight from uh, new york to london and arrive before you know you left or some weird nonsense like that i think that's what sri lanka is trying to do right they are basically like universal whipping boys whenever there's a requirement to up team morale uh, with australia losing justin langer or india's whole saga with kohli shastri they just like summoned at the snap of a thumb and they're there to be beaten so i think today is the third game but already like and and that too back to back right so they've played essentially four t20s uh, in less than a week uh, 
with a major sort of uh, transcontinental flight in between so kudos to sri lanka i wonder if anyone is if, if sri lanka is will be the first team to lose two series in the same week <laughs> i wonder if that's ever happened before if anyone has lost two completely different series against two completely different countries in the same week in different continents it's truly remarkable no i mean i wonder if there's a football team like that where you can just invite them they're generally a high quality football team but you can <laughs> defeat them if you need a brief boost of uh, Uh, morale you know this was probably planned 8 9 months ago or a year ago so was all this known that langer will leave that uh, kohli shastri saga will happen like was all this known like 9 months beforehand and like this is when that uh, the series was penciled in at that time like before we knew all this going to happen so i don't know who's controlling cricket I have my doubts it was penciled in that early rumor when Tendulkar had to like uh, retire they just very quickly called West Indies over they probably were stand sitting outside the airport and they said listen all of you just get into this bus please come now we have to play Tendulkar's last test match and they all showed up just very very quickly it was a very short notice so i can see this happening at very short notice but i think the west indies series again this time was summoned fairly quickly right i guess sri lanka is hmm. the one that's been uh, chalked in for for a longer period of time this whole this whole pandemic situation right like they've they've not had a home season for more than 18 months now so whoever fits in gets sandwiched between uh, the away leg and the ipl pretty much that's what's happening now we're just passing time to hit the ipl effectively um the ranji is going on right now and the ranji is fairly interesting because you have a lot of teams battling it out and many people are coming back in form but there is a video that just uh, popped up and it is about this wonderfully named player uh, his name is eden apple tom and it's spelled e d e n a p p l e t o m that's his name and he has a video where he's explaining why he's called eden apple tom or rather trying to explain why he does not know why his name is called eden apple tom and eden is pronounced eden so he's from kerala he's a malayali and the first thing that struck me when i thought, saw this really strange name was this really brilliant and fairly underrated post that sirin had written several years back and he had this beautiful hypothesis back then that in order to be a successful cricketer in india you cannot have a common name your name has to be unusual sirin i'm going to throw it to you and say Can you just tell us a little bit more about? It? So there was a period, uh, I think, between two thousand and eight, and maybe for three or four years, I used to write a column for uh, Cricket Info. So they called me up and said, "Look, uh, how much do you know cricket?" I said, "I virtually nothing." So they're like, "Excellent! Can you write a column for us? Because that'd be substantially better than the other columnists we already have." <laughs> and uh, I just spent. And the thing is, I used to consume a lot of cricket, but not very mindfully. And then I said, "Okay, I need to really consume this thing. Watch a lot of cricket, but watch it in the least reverential way possible, right?" And then you start noticing patterns and stuff. Um, for example, the overwriting of cricket articles. Uh, every long-form cricket article must be put into a cannon and shot into the sun, right? I mean, if you actually sit down and read it. Uh, similarly, the other thing I noticed was how Indian cricketers, and not just Indian cricketers, if you generally look at cricketers, for some bizarre reason, how many Prashants have played for India? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like how many like Anil Kumar? No, they'll take Anil, but then add a Kumble. And do you know any other Kumbles? I don't know any other Kumbles. Similarly, the, there were two Tendulkars, right? There was uh, there was Sachin Tendulkar, and there was the lady who used to come in the advertise advertisement. There's another mm. Tendulkar, mm. and I would just like, man, I just do not know anybody else who has the surnames that the vast majority of Indian uh, international cricketers had. And uh, my theory remains is that if your if your name is like, you know. Uh, A. Srinivasan, you probably become an administrator. 
You know what I mean? There is no chance that you're going to become an international cricketer for India. So Eden, Apple, Tom, moment of silence for his childhood. Um, he is bang on. I, I have a feeling. The one person who really surprised me is Rohit Sharma. Yes. Because as soon as Rohit Sharma came on the scene, I was like, there is no way uh, somebody called Rohit Sharma can make it... Uh, some might argue there is still no way that somebody called Rohit Sharma will make it in international <laughs> cricket. Um, but I've been truly surprised at his success. Uh, there has to be. I mean, um, look at Salil Ankola. How many other Ankolas do you guys know? Hands up. Do you know other Ankola? You, there is no other Ankola. Atul Bedade. How many bloody other Bedades are there? There are no other Bedades. Right? How many Gavaskars? How many other Gavaskars are there who did not come from the original Gavaskar? Gavaskar, Gavaskar, the, whatever. Right? The only person who like broke the mold was Sanjay Manjrekar, which is where uh, you also <laughs> sort of put your hands up. Eden Apple Tom. I have theories for why his name is Eden Apple Tom. Uh, have bright future, extremely bright future. Now, if he can play a little bit of good cricket, I think he'll do well. He just needs to play a little bit of good cricket. Like that's like he's already got the door in. Like it's like someone like Washington Sundar, for example. Like. The, not a day goes by when you don't think about what he's up to. Exactly. What are you? Are you a tourism campaign? Are you a human being? What are you, right? I mean, uh, yeah, man. And the thing is, if you're a bowler, right? What is Eden Babe? What is his <laughs> Eden Apple Tom? Tom Eden is he Apple like Tom. batsman? Is he bowler? Is he all rounder? Uh, what is I believe he's a bowler. He's, he's a, a bowler. He's a seamer. Yeah, he's a seamer. Right? Can you imagine you're a cricketer, right? And you're a batsman. You're standing there, and the announcer says, "Okay, you know, less left left arm around medium pavali and whatever medium." Is Eden Apple, and you're like, I cannot do this. I, I just cannot deal. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a strategic move. I mean, if India's smart, our money ball should be to just pick Indians who have weird names. <laughs> if nothing else, you'll have you'll have their name, right? I was thinking about Napoleon Einstein today. Oof, yeah. didn't that, that's just too level. much on the nose. Like it's, that's when you like, like yeah. overachieve. He's named to make it big. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's Aiden Apple Tom, right? Damn, we have been mispronouncing his name and making fun of him for like 10 minutes. No, no, that's fine. Like I said, just before we started recording, in Kerala, I'm known as Tony. But like, I I realized like 18 years after I was born that I was pronouncing my name incorrectly and it's supposed to be Tony. So I go by both, uh, depending on where I am. So Aiden Apple Tom, as he's called uh, in Kerala, had a very strange explanation for his name. Uh, but two things. One, he's 16 years old. Two, he's a Malayali. So like, there's lots of uh, trauma there. But apparently what he was trying to say was that his granddad actually named his dad Apple Tom Philip. Right. So uh, and he was like a professional uh, volleyball player uh, for Kerala. And so he was named Apple. So he thought, you know, what is like a cool add on to that? How can I make this joke uh, longer? So he named his son uh, Eden Apple or Aiden Apple, uh, the forbidden fruit. But the connect to all of this is basically Aiden Apple Tom, uh, like some of you guys, uh, grew up in Sharjah. And he was there till his seventh grade or something uh, till he came back to Kerala and then started playing. So, yeah, there you go. Malayali, Sharjah, cricket and weird names. Which brings us back to this episode. Well done. Yeah, it's all Venn diagrams intersecting. Like, every, like, this is this, like matching together. Yeah, it's all connected. I think like you said, there is some like uh, time machine which is already worked all of these results out now we're just like rederiving everything uh, again and again perhaps at least for me and for Sidin, given that we grew up there we have very uh, distinct memories associated with Sharjah which I think we'll get into but before that I thought I'll just ask Tony Kaustab and Srinath given that you were in a sense on the outside what was your perception of 
matches at Sharjah. How did you look at them? Did you look at it as like a time pass thing? Were you like very mystified by it? Did you think it as a contest that was like amazing? What was your experiences of watching Sharjah matches on the outside? I guess uh, all of us have the same first memory, which is going to be Desert Storm and Tony Craig and I guess Mark Muscrenas for some reason. And wow, like, I'm really surprised because your first memory is Desert Storm, which is like 1998, which is almost like the tail end of my Sharjah <laughs> memory. <laughs> but basically, uh, you know, uh, Sharjah cricket started with uh, this guy. Abdul Rahman Bukhater. Yeah, Abdul Rahman. Abdul Rahman Bukhater <coughs> or Sheikh Abdul Rahman Bukhater. Uh, he's more popularly known in Kerala as Sharja Sheikh, of course, uh, which is a drink. <laughs> Not to be confused with the milkshake, but yes, continue. Go on. Yeah. Wait, there's a milkshake called Sharja Sheikh? Yes. Dude. Wow. 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 Too young, too uh, offline young, after this call. Yeah, offline after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but Sharja was like a, you know, one of curiosity, like one of the many uh, tri series tournaments that used to happen. And Desert Storm, again, there was another team which was New Zealand, uh, which you keep forgetting. But uh, I think, uh, was that also the place where uh, either Jayasurya or Saeed Anwar just like blew us away completely? So, I think I've repressed a lot of the bad memories and one of the only memories that I do have is of Desert Storm and Sharjah. And now I actively don't look at uh, people playing in Sharjah because it's such a small ground. For for me, it's, I mean, Desert Storm, one thing, because I remember watching that on TV. But there are memories of it that I have been told, but I don't remember, like, either witnessing or, like, seeing it happen or something. Like, there's only one file photo of, like, uh, Dawood Ibrahim, for example. I think that was when he was watching one game at Sharjah. And whenever there is any match-fixing scandal, that whenever it blew up, right? I think late 90s, early 2000-something. The only thing that kept playing on loop on TV because they had no other footage was this clip from him watching a game there so Desert Storm too I remember obviously but the only other thing vividly I remember of Sharjah apart from Tevatia's heroics two years ago is this this clip of like those huge 80s type glasses and uh, someone just going bro he did match fixing like that's that, that's about it you know the interesting thing about that is that uh, when Anurag Kashyap made Black Friday the actor who was playing Daoud Ibrahim uh, he actually actually had no reference on how Daoud Ibrahim would walk talk his mannerisms, etc. So what he would do is he would watch entire clips of Sharjah games just to get a sense of how he is as a person and he would base his character on him. That's it. SD clips in like what, 180p, 144p or whatever, <laughs> which is like shot in God knows what potato camera. That's what he used to like base his entire character off. But but really cool. I think uh, <laughs> just before this episode, I was, was reading some of Sidon's old stuff and one of it was about... Uh, how to talk about cricket like an expert without knowing anything. And one of the points is basically <laughs> about back in the day in Sharjah, you, you remember that innings and basically he rounds it off by saying that uh, nobody remembers shit about what happens in Sharjah except for Desert Storm and we've proven that right. <laughs> Just, those are the only two innings anyone ever remembers. But but seriously, the, the two things I remember, like the abiding memories apart, apart from that are India getting trashed by Pakistan left-right center at every given chance. And of course, Jay Surya's uh, 189 and the 54 all out that followed. Like, I think those are the two sort of lasting memories of Sharjah. Everything else is a blur. Like all the IPL games since nobody cares. Like nobody remembers even the next morning what happened in Sharjah. It's just like, I don't know. It's like a blur of 20 year long memories, basically. I, I just realized a generational shift between me and Tony and Kostub and so on. 
because my memories of Sharjah actually start in 1985. I have very clear memories of the Rotman's Cup tournament, oh, right. um, so which is uh, the tournament that happened, I think, uh, um, a year after the World Cup, yes. I think, in 1984. And yes. the years between 85 and 90 are for me very, very important years because the Football World Cup happened in 1990 that UAE qualified for. Uh, I have no memory of the 80, uh, 86 World Cup. I have very little memory of that. I vaguely remember Dad talking about Maradona and the hand of God and so on. But UAE qualified for the 90 World Cup. And the 80, from 1985 to 1990, there was an un- unbelievable amount of cricket in Sharjah. I don't think people remember that much. There was the Rothmans Cup. There was an Australasia Cup. There was a Sharjah Cup. I think they literally had at least one tournament every year in Sharjah. And uh, I have very clear memories of the Rothmans Cup. And I mean, everyone kind of thought India's World Cup victory in 1984 was a fluke. 83 was a fluke. I mean, I was like five, six years old. But I remember... Uh, my dad would be like, man, the West, there's no chance we can beat the West Indies. I mean, the West Indies were just considered unbeatable. And I have one of my earliest cricket memories is the, the local newspapers would do a four-page supplement when the cricket happened in Sharjah. And uh, they, they decided to take a photo of the West Indies team in their hotel in Sharjah, which was, um, today it is widely known as the uh, girls' college class photo, which is they all sit on one step going up and they take a photo, right? <laughs> you know that photo? They all take, either they take it from the front or they take it from the side. Yeah. They convinced all the West Indies players to stand on one step each on the staircase in the hotel. And uh, the staircase looked like they were standing in front of this little Lego toy, right? Because these guys are huge. I remember looking at it and telling my dad, <laughs> and I was, what, five, six years old, telling him, how can any human being beat them in anything? Right? <laughs> they were big, they were strong. And obviously, India went into the Rothmans Cup and got slaughtered, right? India got demolished. Um, and uh, and uh, India lost to Pakistan. India did very badly, I remember, in the, that 85. And then the next year, and this, some of you might remember, there was an Australasia Cup and in the final, uh, Miandad hit Chetan Sharma for a six. Oh. And they, Pakistan needed, I think, five or six runs to win off the last ball. Chetan Sharma tried a Yorker and Miandad slammed him out. I saw that live. And oh. uh, for me, I, I did not know... Sorry, live in the stadium before. or live on television? Live on television. And okay. it sounds weird. Watching live on television was actually harder than watching live in Sharjah at that point. Because <laughs> um, if you wanted to watch a cricket tournament in Sharjah, I think till the late 80s, early 90s, you always got your ticket from one restaurant in Dubai called Sindh Punjab Restaurant. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. You went to Sindh Punjab Restaurant. It was it was this weird Indo-Pakistani, genuinely Indo-Pakistani. In the yeah. sense it was owned by a by a Sikh man, but all the Pakistanis hung out there. In Sindh Punjab yeah. Restaurant, for others who don't know, is in Dubai, is in a suburb of Dubai called Karama, which was essentially a suburb that was, of course, expat heavy, but also very expat blue collar. And I think they recently celebrated 42 years, 43 years. I didn't know cricket was a thing until 1985. Can I just be honest? I just did not know it existed as a thing. And mm-hmm. my dad tells me this memory when he was in college. My dad was born in 1950s, so I'm assuming late 60s. Uh, my dad went to Trivandrum for the first time with his... Uh, he went to St. Thomas College in Prashur. Mm. Uh, my dad went to Trivandrum for the first time uh, for on a study tour. He, mm. he says, you know, they went in this college bus. They got outside because they went to the... They were going to see this college. And mm. they saw this bunch of guys wearing whites standing in the sports field doing nothing. Okay? And my dad was like, why are you guys not doing anything? They said, no, we're playing a test match. He said, but there should be some physical activity. You know, two guys far away, they seem to be doing something. You're not doing anything. So my dad was like, what, you do this for five days? And in the 60s, late 60s, for my dad, cricket was a revelation. Like he'd not seen anyone play cricket till that point. And remember, my dad was good enough at football that he was picked by Kerala police. Decided not to do it because of Naxalite assassinations of policemen in Kerala in the 70s. He was that good. 
So anyways, my dad comes to the Gulf. I grew up with no sense that there is a thing called cricket. I was always a football uh, family. No one played it in school. No one played it outside. We didn't see any cricket. And then Sharjah happened. And like I said, you could go to Sindh Punjab, get tickets to watch the match. But figuring out how to watch it on TV at home was a huge challenge. Because was it on Sharjah TV? Was it on Dubai Channel 33? I have very vague memories of my dad fiddling with that antenna until he would get it correctly. And then correctly, you would get that antenna, that one degree position. And then you would get the cricket tournament. And then all my dad's colleagues would come. And I've written about this. I mean, if you've read any of my Cricket Info columns, I've written how influential my dad's workplace colleagues were. <laughs> Mr. Kapati and Premraj. Am I remembering correct? That is exactly correct. Prem, uh, Premraj Payans Vellatingara from uh, Kasarkot <laughs> was my dad's fellow Malayali in the office. And uh, CK Kapadia was my dad's other, he was the chartered accountant. He was the only chartered accountant. My dad is a BSc botany who, in typical Malu in the Gulf, became head of all finance. So CK Kapadia and Premraj Kapadia and my, they used to call my dad VTS, Vadukut uh, Thomas Sunni, VTS. They, they were the cricket headquarters in this big local-owned company. Premraj was a big cricket fan. Kapadia was a huge... He's a Gujarati from Bombay, right? Massive uh, cricket fan, but also massive LK Advani fan. Uh, <laughs> but this is in the late 80s, early 90s. This is before uh, BJP had achieved product market fit in India, right? So um, he was a very proto-Advani fan. And they would go mental about cricket. And can we use bad language in this podcast? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Can I speak in Tamil? <laughs> okay, <anyway>. so uh, <laughs> what's the difference okay sorry. <laughs> so i would be I, I would call my dad in office like we'd call him every day before school after school rite of passage gulf kids call their parents all the time in office the switchboard guy knew who was your dad and stuff i would call yeah. my dad and i could hear premraj and kapadia screaming about the india pakistan match <laughs> okay and the word the operative word was kapil dev sala gandu gandu sala kapil dev constantly okay <laughs> constantly this is the refrain i would hear and i was like my dad is like i have no idea what's up with these guys some stupid cricket match is going on and then uh, the rothmans cup happens and then the australasia cup happens and then the indo pakistan match the friday indo pakistan match sequence starts and suddenly by the mid 80s everyone is on on cricket and uh, Kapadia and Premraj would come to my house. My mom would cook for everybody. Um, and we, were all, we would all get together with families, with everybody. A lot of bachelors could not afford TVs. A lot of bachelor Mallus had very low-paying jobs in the Gulf. So we'd have an open house on cricket match day. And the house would be just full of people watching, uh, including Pakistanis. So we'd have Pakistanis, we'd have Indians, all of these people together. Unbelievable abuse, screaming across the living room against each other. And it was just the most wonderful memories. I have just the best memories of cricket in Sharjah. <laughs> and then in the late 80s, we started playing cricket. And uh, outside, in parking lots. And uh, the tape uh, tennis ball became the ball. Like, you know, there were legendary guys in our school who could tape tennis balls perfectly. It was a skill to be able to put PVC tape on tennis balls. And cricket took off. And it was highly frowned upon. Uh, we'd get chased away by policemen from parking lots, but the footballers could stay, right? But the Indians and Pakistanis who play cricket could uh, would get chased away. They would literally uh, blare the sirens at us. It was just the most amazing uh, discovery of a sport, suddenly when you're like eight or nine years old, you know, with no background. And I didn't know anything. I remember LBW just completely frazzled me for many years. I just didn't understand what was going on. And my dad was like, oh, he's LBW. I was like, explain. Dad, I don't know, but everyone else is shouting. You know what I mean? So... Uh, yeah, anyway, I could go on and on. And then Sultan Zarawani and then UAE qualifies for the Cricket World Cup. That was a brief period when they actually allowed you to play cricket outside. For a brief period, it was not frowned upon. You could play outside. 
and then uh, then the cricket then they actually saw zarawani play cricket and then immediately they started chasing us away from uh, <laughs> away from uh, parking lots again but yeah it was just it was the most uh, it was the most and then in you know, 1990 world cup happened my mum passed away so i had to go to boarding school in in kerala and for very for all of these emotional reasons the 92 world cup is very close to my heart anyway that's a long kind of ramble on growing up with cricket it was so interesting man every tournament noor jahan concert right and uh, the match would happen and if it was a friday match right after that channel 33 would put the weekly hindi film would happen right after that so you would see a slightly out of date amitabh bachchan film or you'd see mary jung or you know they'd put a pot boiler right after that and then uh, the family would gently go back to sleep on a friday night after the weekend a lot of what sidney is saying like i just i can i can go on for like 20 30 minutes just like telling like different versions of the story in the gulf but a lot of this like rings very very true this is exactly what it was and i think the real big difference i mean at least when I, when people say in india they're like oh we also used to watch cricket you also used to watch. like yes you did but the difference wasn't that after you watched an india pakistan match where india gets thrashed by pakistan you would then go out in the evening or go out the next morning and meet pakistanis who would laugh at you and jive at you and basically remind you oh once again you guys have lost but of course the good thing was that both of us together used to make fun of bangladeshis who were never had a cricket game so that was oh, fun oh man yeah still, <laughs> still remains true to this day this yeah and there was no point in making fun of the sri lankans because man they don't care man exactly exactly that's exactly they're like true. they're like they're like the they're like the island desis right the rare like they're so chilled out they didn't care they were like we don't care man Yeah, and all of this we is have true. other stuff to worry about. And all of this is true about the police chasing you down because you couldn't get time to play, and you and if you played cricket during the prayer, time of the prayers, that would be another time. So you'd have to actually people do tea break and lunch break now. We had to do prayer breaks, okay, because we had to like we couldn't play at that time because we would get chased away if we played around that time. So we had to stop. And all the pitches were on roads. So there's so everything people would pretend okay we are doing spin bowling and swing bowling there's no swing there's no spin you're playing on literally a road there is a road that you're playing on in the school the pitch was concrete it was made of concrete okay that is where you'd play cricket that's like the actual rajkot stadium but <laughs> <laughs> Sirin, before before you tell us about uh, Sultan Sarawani for our off take uh, for our upcoming true crime podcast, can you briefly tell <laughs> us about your uh, interaction with Sugumara Kurup and how he was your neighbor or uh, something? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, remember, my dad went in 1972. So the, the UAE became a country in 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, when my dad went in 72, uh, there were still border checks between Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and so on. It wasn't the seamless country it is today. Uh, Dubai had, you know, even to this day, right? There's lots of different. It was a very different country, my friends. Uh, Abu Dhabi airport was one building with a jeep outside. Dubai had the major airport. The guy who ran the fire force in Abu Dhabi was a Malayali who was called, I joke not, Fire John. <laughs> His name was Fire John because he was a Malayali called John. He was in charge of fire. They called him Fire John. Okay. And my dad knew Fire John. I mean, the community was so small that virtually every Malayali, every kind of broadly if you are from central the trishur central area everybody knew everybody else you know so everybody kind of literally knew everybody else in the gulf in the 70s even though there were all you know thousands of malayalis there uh, it was not uncommon for all of them to know each other fairly and they were all bachelors none of them had their families 10 of them would share a flat right or live or work in a labor camp uh, which sounds horrible but they lived in dormitories together um, my dad got married i think in 76 and he was lucky enough to have a job Um, which paid him enough that he could bring my mum over. 
So my mom went just before I was born and then she came back for my delivery. So when my mom was, uh, I think the late 70s, so I'm thinking 77, 78, when I was but a twinkle in my dad's uh, voracious eye, one of our family friends was a guy called Sugumara Kurupa. Okay. Uh, we knew him. My dad knew him as this very charismatic guy who'd come in uh, once every couple of weeks. They would play rummy together. They'd have a few drinks. And my dad, again, was lucky enough to be paid well enough. Let me just acknowledge it. Not merit, pure luck. Uh, to have money and have to get a liquor license, right? So my dad could go to Spinney's or to one of the licensed liquor shops in Abu Dhabi and buy liquor. You could, no one, not everyone couldn't go. You had a license. And my so my dad could buy alcohol because if you traveled in a taxi with alcohol, they caught you and you didn't have a liquor license, you're gone. They could put you in prison for a very long time. Um, so all the bachelors would come and Sugumara Kurpu was one of these guys, Sugumaran. Uh, they used to call him Sugumaran, I think. Handsome, charismatic, worked for a local company. Sugumaran's sister was also in Abu Dhabi at the time. She used to be a cashier at Spinney's which was one of these pork-selling, alcohol-selling, special-licensed British shops um, in Abu Dhabi. So, and my dad used to tell me, you know, Sugumara Kuruk came once week. He said, no, I'm going back to India on holiday. Uh, they played cards. I think my mom made mutton biryani. My dad has very clear memories of this. And then Sugumara Kuruk goes back to, uh, goes to India on leave, right? Uh, back in the day when flights were so expensive that you went on leave maybe once every two years. Very expensive to go. And uh, Sugumara Kuruk goes, and my mom is carrying me. So I am in Delhi at this point. I am in, uh, in, in the process of presenting myself. And uh, the next thing I know, or next thing my dad knows, Sugumara Kurupa is a wanted man because he has murdered somebody in Kerala. He has committed, a, he has killed somebody, burnt their body in a car. The idea is to do an insurance fraud. So the idea is Sugumara Kurupa has died in a car accident, so his family will get the money. What Kurupa actually does is he drives around one evening with some accomplices, finds a guy, kills him, puts him in the car, sets fire to the car. And the idea is hopefully police will think it is Sugumara Kurupa and his family can take the money. Utterly flabbergasted. Like the entire Abu Dhabi gang is uh, utterly flabbergasted by the sequence of events. And eventually Kurupa becomes one of India's most wanted people, um, is believed to have run away to Saudi Arabia at some point. Very quickly after that, I think when, in the late 80s or mid 80s, there was a movie called NH47, which was a film adaptation, the first film adaptation of the Sugumara Kurupa crimes. And I remember bizarrely sitting at home and watching it with my dad. And my dad is like, I used to know that guy. I used to know that guy. <laughs> he, he came and saw your mum when you were in stomach. The most bizarre story. There's a new movie now, I think, which has come out with Dulkar Salman, Mamuti's son. Yeah. And I don't think to this day they've found him ever. The theory is that he died of old age in Saudi Arabia, but he remains um, maybe Kerala's most famous fugitive. Is Sugumara Kurupa. So yeah, so was a family friend. Like uh, almost everybody in the Gulf at that point. So, so such a zero to hundred story. Like, ha, ah, okay, like seems like a seems like a decent person. Ha, ah, whatever. Went to tried what murdered someone for like insurance. Like, like it, it. I did not expect that escalation. I expected an escalation, sure, but all the stat padding of like what like a normal person this is. Oh, like no has come over eaten. Like, yeah, he was just playing cards with yeah. my dad. Only, and only for Malayalis, this is like a story of from rummy to dummy to dummy. Like, uh, if you know the reference. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to jump very quickly to 996 World Cup. But before that, I thought I'll just quickly talk about uh, India in Sharjah. India, Pakistan in Sharjah. So I just ran through the stats. Um, India played Sharjah, I think, nearly like 27 times between uh, 84 all the way up to uh, 2006. Uh, and this includes Sharjah, and I think it includes a couple of matches in Abu Dhabi and Dubai as well. And of this, India won the first two matches in Sharjah, which is in the 84-85, which is, as Sidden mentioned, just after the World Cup. And after that, they never won until 1991. And then they never won again until one game in 1996. 
and then the next game they won was in like 2000 so in between for uh, between these wins pakistan had like nearly 10 wins you mean against pakistan basically against pakistan these are just games against pakistan so it's almost like india wins pakistan wins 10 times india wins pakistan wins 7 times and india wins then pakistan wins 3 4 times this was what sharja was like and But, i'm going to uh, jump to the 996 interestingly there uh, you mean 92 which is also the uh, between these sharjas where uh, india was losing to pakistan uh, where interspersed uh, world cup matches where india was constantly beating pakistan the first of which was in 1992 right uh, which is why there was a strong local lore legend etc about pakistan being unbeatable in sharja and of course it was connected ஒரு <laughs> and give you cash prizes for it this is like t20s from like the 80s and it was entirely normal i mean i won't call it the wild west but it was such an innocent time and pg i don't know if you remember when the initial tournament started because yeah. i remember going to the sharja stadium before they finished building all the stands around it right mm-hmm. and uh, you could just walk up to the pitch like there's nothing you park your car and walk up and the boundary was a, a line of um, uh, prefab concrete bricks painted in white concrete yeah. bricks okay <laughs> and then they obviously they realized that you know these guys are going to dive and go head first it's not that india did much head first diving into anything at that point in time but still i mean they replaced it with little wooden blocks and stuff and you could they would give cricketers all of these things you hit this we'll give you 100 dirhams every time you hit this 1000 dirhams you hit that you get an audi car and Correct. guys would do it but also like the the funding was one of the major reasons why sharja cricket came to be in the first place right there was something called the cricketers benefit fund or some something like that series yeah cbfs the cbfs series what what is that about an excuse to do cricket in sharjah essentially <laughs> which was that uh, players what... would get paid for showing up or something like that all the idea was a lot of the money they raised they could then give back to players and stuff i mean it's basically a nicely packaged excuse for why all this money was sloshing around and you know and it and the funny thing was this was before global you know you, you had global advertising right yeah So the Sharjah tournament would weirdly have brands that were relevant only to the Gulf. So you'd have Al Kabir frozen food, you'd have Rafa video, you'd have Thomas Cook travel. Yeah, it was Postman ghee. You know, you had these it was just yeah, it was just interesting. It was an interesting kind of very pre-global. I think the 92 World Cup for me is like the first kind of real globalized cricket tournament in some sense. And a lot of foreign exchange, Thomas Cook Rostmani, I think those are the ads that you would yeah. see all around there. Kanu group Kanu group. Kanu, yes, Kanu group. <laughs> yeah. So many brands I remember, PGK and Sidon. I think for you guys, it would have been really normal, right? Khalid Times is in my head. Kit Ply, yeah. Kit Call, uh, the six competition. It's Kit like all of that head, stuff yeah. is, yeah. So, so many brands from that time. But it's interesting you're talking about advertising because it's it's a great uh, segment in the 1996 World Cup uh, because which is also the World Cup. So two three things happen in 1996 World Cup and I really recommend uh, this amazing book by Mike Markasi uh, which is just about what the 1996 World Cup did and how it transformed and commercialized cricket in a way that 
we never went back to and because of course everyone knows it was set in india pakistan and sri lanka and at that point in time the ads really came in like coke pepsi it was this big extravaganza but it was also extremely special because for the first time the united arab emirates ended up in the world cup <laughs> yeah Now, so, sorry pgk uh, just before that i mean i think we need to give a huge shout out to 81 all out who brought yes, out this book because absolutely. i remember you recommending this a couple of years ago and we actually checked the price on amazon and it was 11534 for a paperback uh, i got mine through a friend of mine in the uk uh, for 2000 rupees after 81 all out launched it but now it's available on amazon for india as well at a much cheaper price i think it's around 500 rupees or so so Uh, yes. For more context, the rights of the book essentially lapsed, and the book practically went out of print. And Mike Markesy passed away several years ago. And Eighty One All Out, which is a cricket podcast with serious cricket people who are cricket experts who know what they're talking about. If you don't want to hear banter and you want to hear actual experts, please listen to Eighty One All Out. It's a phenomenal podcast. Uh, they got the rights, and they just republished the book, and it's available now on Amazon, at least the e, e- version. And I think in parts of India, including Bangalore, you can get the physical copy as well. So. Really, really recommend. Please listen to Eighty One All Out. Coming back to the nineteen ninety six World Cup, the UAE cricket team makes it to the nineteen ninety six World Cup, and I can tell you, as someone who was from the UAE, living in the UAE, it felt like you had two home teams in the cup. Of course, there was India, and this was the time when Tendulkar had just broken in, and of course, he was there in nineteen ninety two World Cup. But ninety six was where it felt like it was his moment. It was hosted in India. We felt that India was in a great place, and then suddenly, as an added bonus. The UAE cricket team comes in as well, and I'm now going to ask Sirin to tell us about the UAE cricket team and what that was like watching them play. It is utterly thrilling. I mean, I cannot lie about this. It was seemed like the most wonderful culmination of stuff. 1990, they went into the World Cup, the football World Cup, uh, played really well. I remember watching. My mum would stay up with me and watch throughout that World Cup. She literally passed away halfway during that World Cup, and then I mean, I've written about this before. She passes away halfway through the World Cup, and then the rest of the World Cup I have to see by myself with my dad. Um, and then 1996, they qualify for and. It started off as a joke, you know what I mean? They're like, hey, they're going to lose everything. What's the point? I mean, so the UAE went in, and uh, it was the one thing is uh, people kind of forget the UAE had a really thriving domestic cricket culture right through the 80s. PG, I don't know if you remember, but if you could wake up on the morning on, especially on a weekend, open the Kalish Times or the Gulf News, the two major papers. Um, so you read one of these two newspapers, and they'd have an entire page of domestic cricket results. There were so many. In fact, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. They had three tiers of local cricket. Yeah, they had several tiers. I don't know if it was three, but they definitely had several tiers, and it took up like almost half a page or one page of the results that was there. So my dad's company had Bin Hamouda Trading and General Services had a team in uh, Dubai, and every time they had a match, they had two or two guys in Abu Dhabi who were good enough to play. Dubai was always cooler than Abu Dhabi. We had two guys in Abu Dhabi who were good enough to play. They traveled to Dubai for those matches. They had a fairly, and they had a lot of. fairly good ranji trophy level guys would then go get work in the gulf and go there and all of them would end up playing and becoming really good and then because of the very convenient way in which nationality and representation is managed in cricket uh, all of them just played for uh, the uae team the one exception the one imarati who played was a leg or what a right arm leg spinner right a right arm uh, leg spinner and a middle order batsman a suicidal middle order batsman <laughs> named uh, sultan zarawani um, who came from the who came in from nowhere and kind of vanished for a long time i think before he came back as an administrator or something like that and sorry sultan is not his name it's his actual title right he's, he's a real no, sultan is, yeah sultan but without the crown so yeah that, we'll get to that lakab <laughs> or whatever it's called so yeah i mean it was it was thrilling exactly like pgk said it was like having two teams in the world cup 
it was totally like having two teams in the world cup even when india played the uae and zarawani took sachin's wicket correct yes it would have been his moment apart from the moment that we're going to get to very quickly but his original moment was he bowled a leg spin to tendulkar and i kid you not it was probably one of the one of the it just outfoxed him completely just pitches on leg goes past him takes the outside edge and goes to the wicketkeeper everybody is surprised including sachin and that's his first wicket and if i'm not wrong it remains his only wicket sultan it's Zarabhi. a classic sachin dismissal though like this is the yes. kind of guy he used to get used uh, out to michael won and a bunch of others and if i remember this was just this was a prep game before the world cup right because yes. india and uae were in different groups in the world that's cup right. so i think that's this right. is a prep game that's right i remember the game was in whites also they didn't even wear colors it was in whites they were in whites in legendary game. game and then uae had this dashing kind of cigarette ash color uniform uh, kind of grayish uh, <laughs> cement color i will yeah. never forget i mean you can laugh at it man it is seared in my memory the falcon on the logo seared into my memory it's hugely emotional i mean say anything you want about com- contemporary politics but when the uae does something all the childhood memories of singing imarat imarat in stadiums and in front of football all just comes back to me hugely emotional you just identify it's very hard to it's very hard to uh, not get that emotion even now even now when they play cricket and stuff occasionally when you see them winning something sure who is playing for them mailwahanan right there's a ganesh mailwahanan who used to <laughs> yep. play for them yep. um, who was a very very good player i mean yeah. he was a fairly high quality indian player i think we all remember <laughs> the rest of us remember uae in that world cup because uh, gary kirsten scored a 188 i think not out which is like the highest score for a long time you know johan samarashekar was actually a really good bowler i mean he actually bowled reasonably well in that world cup that's true uh i'm going to quickly uh, jump to the moment that everyone remembers <laughs> uh poor sultan zarawani for what happens okay i think uh, uae are chasing a pretty steep target against south africa and they have a top order collapse as it tends to happen at world cups i i think the score was under 70 and for the loss of six wickets when the captain sultan zarawani walks in and they still Alan Donald and the entire South African pace attack. We should just say at this point uh, for young listeners that Alan Donald at this point was called White Lightning, right? And mm-hmm. and you know the rest. Yeah, not just for the sunscreen across his lips, but do go on screen. So Alan Donald is pretty much top two or three feared quicks along with likes of Ambrose and Wakar at that time and. Sultan Zarawani who's the captain who uh sit in and PGK have so colorfully described so far literally uh the sultan the prince from the UAE of emirati origin walks in uh without wearing a helmet to face up to Alan Donald uh, I think at this point it's only fair I hand over to Sir and uh, to describe what happens next I have such memories of seeing it live because I think it was in Rawalpindi I think this is the match in which Kirsten Uh, destroyed the UAE right i mean they scored yeah. some over 300 and something runs yeah. um this was still early enough for 300 to be an impressive total the the sex appeal of a 300 score would rapidly diminish i think in the years to come after that but this was like a, a truly stunning 300 score no one took it seriously alan donald is bowling and zarawani decides to come in just wearing a floppy hat okay you do not come in wearing a floppy hat when alan donald is bowling at this point in time because again remember i said about how the west indies just seemed undaunted just impossible to defeat them they seemed like how do you alan donald was bowling like that you're like how would anyone bat against like i remember if if india had to play australia south africa around this time i would sit up in bed thinking what if everyone got out for duck everyone has thought this right <laughs> everyone has thought this this has gone through everybody right yeah. alan donald was at his peak what if we lose six people for zero runs in the first over 
<laughs> right. This is how Alan Donald is bowling, and this guy goes in wearing a floppy hat. And uh, remember, Gavaskar did play fast bowlers wearing a slightly less floppy hat. Um, but the problem is, Zarawani was not Gavaskar. This was the <laughs> this was the core problem. He was a he was a very mediocre leg spin. Very clearly, a guy who'd learned leg spin leg spin bowling via correspondence scores. Yeah, through YouTube, hundred percent, and who'd I've, I've never learned batting at all, right? Uh, very clearly did not know batting. He goes in, and people forget the South Africans lost their minds when he went in wearing a floppy hat. They yeah. were really upset, right? Yeah. They had a huddle. They were like, "What do we do?" And uh, um, uh, Alan Donald will like, "Dude, I, very famously, John T. Rhodes goes to them and says, "Dude, this guy doesn't know what cricket is. Okay, he's just essentially they've put in one local guy there. He's promised his team members that if they win a match, I'll give everyone a Mercedes Benz. Please don't kill the guy." Okay, and I think uh, Alan Donald very, very, very shrewdly blames Pat Simcox. Simcox was like, "No, kill him, kill <laughs> bowl a bouncer, bowl a bouncer, scare him, um, bowl it, bowl it over his head or whatever." And uh, you know, and, so so uh, Alan Donald's options at this point are kill or don't kill, right? Like there's no third option. Like just bowl, no. pull it and like no. Very, very, very 21st century Vladimir Putin. It's very that level. It's very uncompromising. There is no middle ground over there. There is no Goldilocks zone. Okay. So and and Alan Donald, like you know, I find it really funny how Donald remembers this. He's like, no, I said like, no, I will let the guy go. You know, let's be careful. He doesn't know anything. Simcox comes and says, kill him. And Alan is like, okay, fine, I'll kill him. Okay. So Donald goes in, textbook Yorker, right? Textbook, kill the guy. He should never like Yorker. Zarawani, unfortunately, is not in. possession of above mentioned textbook it <laughs> hits his head straight on pgk you could hear this right on the yeah thing. you could you could and and he and he like he just like stumbles away and for like a brief 3 seconds you are terrified as a viewer because you just it hits his head and he just walks away like completely like dizzy and like this thing and then you're like oh god what happened and his hat falls off and his hat falls off it's the kind of example sunny gavaskar uses even today to say you don't need concussion tests like people used to get by without all this sultan zarwani that brave soul remember that <laughs> sunil i don't think that's as good an example as you think it is sunil <laughs> zarwani stumbles away and south africa do that thing when which they do in, which they used to do a lot more in cricket i think they do less now which is the act as if they are concerned <laughs> right this was how it was in cricket it's only very recently you know after all the tragedy that's happened that people actually seriously go and check back yeah. in the past they'd use this hello is everything okay okay ha huh, fine <laughs> and they did go back right so, so they go they go and check him and he's he's gone and he lasts for what six uh, six, six balls, balls. Yeah. i think he's six balls yeah six more balls and he's gone and man it is one of again abiding memory of the 1990 uh, Six World Cup. The other memory being, I don't know if anybody remembers the car crash of an of an opening ceremony. Does anybody remember that? Ah, uh, you should remind us. I remember that. <laughs> you should go on. So okay, does Very this have quickly, like a right? Miss Universe or Miss World or something to it? No, no, no. I don't. I all I remember is um, they decided to spend a lot of money and do a light and sound show type thing, where they would do a they they suspended a ring over the center of the pitch and they would put a curtain around the ring. and they would project images onto the curtain right so they could do like a panoramic kind of light and sound where this curtain would be the thing uh it bombay i think it's in bombay i think the opening ceremony is in bombay please correct me if i'm wrong hmm. uh and it is the windiest possible day <laughs> so you have the curtain is doing disco dance hanging from this thing no one can see anything that is being displayed onto anything it's 
it's essentially just abstract art at some point and then somebody decides okay this is not working no one can see anything quietly switch it off before it becomes a big embarrassment little did we know that we were seeing in 1996 what would be perfected in 2010 for the commonwealth games <laughs> when multiple systems would fail at that point but man it was so i remember this i remember this proto attempt to do light and sound very valiant attempt to do light and sound at the 19 and there was a really nice ceremony do you remember flags all the captains came on board yeah. Yeah. um they did a very really olympics like yeah very olympics like they did a very, very interesting kind of light and sound virtual yeah. they tried to do yeah, it was very interesting very interesting it was really the first disco dance world cup uh, with the loudest beat being zarawani's head <laughs> <laughs> last thing about uh, growing up with cricket in the uae is about this wonderful chant that happens in sharja cricket grounds that sidin has written about and i'm going to throw it to sidin to talk about this <laughs> um i'm really happy to be on the last episode of this podcast um <laughs> so uh, so this is my dad is responsible for this however I, I, there's a great you, when you're a journalist and you write stuff um you want to get paid for it obviously ideally you know you want to get that's number one goal number two goal is people remember this it has some influence somewhere and 99% of journalists 99% of they what they write nobody cares for and the remaining 1% people care for because there are factual mistakes or there is plagiarism so the vast majority of the time you get no reward for what you're writing so anyway so the story starts with this is my dad in his late 80s phase when he still does not understand what the heck kapadia and uh, premraj is talking about during cricket matches right so uh, they would come home and uh, you could hear uh, audio you could hear everything happening in the stadium Uh, on the tv in those days like you could hear people speaking all of this very very uh, low tech and you could hear the the desis this is before you know we got many more sophisticated chants uh, this was all very jeetega by jeetega either pakistan jeetega or uh, india jeetega right i mean it is always basically they only had those those two or three chants and my dad would get really annoyed because uh, kapadia and premraj would sit in my living room and scream out these um, and my dad is like dude there's only like three adults and a child here they can't hear you in the fucking team why are you screaming stop it okay and my dad would get really annoyed and at which point one day he was like bloody fo-. this is after india had lost to pakistan okay i remember this my dad is very good when he gets um, when he gets outraged he was like what happened now your bloody jitendra by jitendra what happened now all gone all finished all gone all waste of my time my electricity money waste my cooking waste my food waste go home bloody fools okay jitendra indeed <laughs> okay so and the thing is not entirely senseless because this is one of the period when jitendra would actually be in the stadium with assorted members of pakistani intelligence i guess um walking watching uh, watching these matches so every time for years after that it, it everyone would keep screaming jitendra by jitendra for <laughs> for for this i wrote about this once and i kid you not around 7 or 8 years ago Uh, at uh, i think an in india england one odi in lords or oval in london a bunch of guys sc- sang that song okay clearly engineering cricket for column reading guys and i heard it on tv and uh, it is by far the most success i've achieved as a in any form that's cricket as a my most successful moment in any format across formats <laughs> across formats yeah uh, and the only other time this has happened to me is i wrote an article about trying to follow the india pakistan match and i had to follow this match in switzerland because i was traveling on work and uh, a bunch of us indians managed that's a, to that's use a beautiful article by the way i really like that article but it's people, very it was i remember this i was staying i had go, gone for a trade show in where I was, this was when i used to cover the swiss watch industry as a journalist but um, i traveled to switzerland i was staying in this god forsaken village somewhere 
in a spa because I didn't get hotel rooms. It was too expensive. I was on expense. And then we, a bunch of us Indians sat and saw uh, a pirated stream of this game in a McDonald's in Basel. People lost their minds. They're like, what the heck? Why are these mysterious brown people watching a, a stream and vaguely chanting religious lines? You know what I mean? It was all very, <laughs> the Swiss were losing their minds about it. And then I wrote an article immediately. I filed an article for Cricket Info when I was there. And then I came to London. I came back home two days later. And I was traveling through customs and a Desi guy was checking my passport. And he was like, oh, I have it in Switzerland. Did you see the cricket? I said, yeah, I saw the cricket. He was like, you know, this guy wrote this really interesting article on cricket for about watching this in Switzerland. Did you meet this guy? <laughs> and I was like, what? Somebody reads my cricket for <laughs> besides, besides the guy who edits it. At so yeah, it was... That, uh, at that point, no, did you no, own up to it or like did you slightly slide away? Yeah, no, come on. Validation as an Indian journalist, 100% <laughs> own up to it. I own up to articles that Saman Subramaniam has written. What articles I have written? So I, have zero, uh, I have zero problems with... Uh, yeah, so those are two. But Jitendra by Jitendra, it is, again, happy to have contributed it to the sophisticated world of Indian cricket. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Dad. <laughs> One of the segments that Nitin Sundar proposed on our last episode is this uh, segment called Titan Watch, uh, which is where we follow the Gujarat <laughs> Titans. Uh, PGK you had something around Metaverse uh, for yes, the Gujarat Titans. Th- no, I think, I think we should definitely talk about Gujarat Titans. That's exactly where I was getting to now. Um, I'm going to like throw it to Kaus because Kaus literally on the WhatsApp group can't speak of anything else. He's still in stunned silence after watching the Gujarat Titans uh, reveal. Wait, wait, this entire Zoom call is happening on a metaverse, as as, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it, I, I I don't know how to describe like what I saw. Like, first thing I had to describe it, right? Because like, it's a podcast, and I can't just be like, bro, my mind is blown. Uh, like, for one thing, it's a logo reveal, and the logo looks like it is something that someone would have done on Word Art. Okay, like it's not, uh, it's it's not too elaborate. It's not too fancy. I mean, compared the, the bar is underground. If you're comparing it to the logos that you have compared before. To be fair, uh, it's better than Lucknow uh, Super Giant. So it still yeah. it still looks like a, a, a Tamil election poster with uh, two guys on either side holding the logo. Which the Ashok Krish did ironically on doing Jalsa and showing Jilpa. But uh, yeah. So I didn't try this live, but uh, they had this link that I put out on your Twitter that said something like, um, uh, join, uh, join this link and uh, we will reveal the logo soon. So when I joined there, it's basically a 4x4 kind of 3D room with like your avatar, like just a torso and above. Okay, you have no feet. Okay, and you can walk around looking at like random paraphernalia on the wall. And the paraphernalia on the wall is only Narendra Modi Stadium. Okay, photos of that. Because they can't, this is the build up to the logo reveal. Entirely empty, there's like one random dais on stage. Whatever, it's very bizarre. Uh, I missed the reveal and then I see the video later. Turns out these three uh, torsos are standing in front of a desk and it does not look like Hardik Pandya, Nera or uh, Shubman Gill because I don't know if any of, any of you guys played cricket, EA Cricket 2004 or 2003 or whatever, right? <laughs> so, so like the, the graphics there were so bad that like they were like Tendulkar had a random moustache. I like, forget the name problems. Okay, a Naharam the copyright. is in the yeah. video. <laughs> D Denier, D Denier, Gemfir, Gautam Gemfir. I remember the name, but like, forget that. But I remember very vividly that none of the faces made sense. Okay, like they had literally superimposed photos on it. They have pre-recorded speeches from Nehra and um, Pandya and Gil talking about what this logo means to them. This this whole thing could have been like a tweet. 
it's like one of those things that like this meeting could have been in email types this literally could have just been hey hello this is our logo check it out that's it no they had to make this whole show about it doing this on the metaverse so they do this uh, i don't even remember what uh, nera and uh, pandya said because i like, don't think it, they remember it's okay go on <laughs> so yeah and uh, the logo we had to turn around okay the camera pans around uh, after looking at these three guys talk for a bit and then the logo is revealed then there is the silence okay for like 30 seconds while these three torsos find their way to come in front of the camera and then they just turn around okay it feels like something i'm watching like the conjuring or something okay it's like a horror trick where all the eyes are looking at you and like you don't know where to look and it's all quiet it's 30 seconds of just silence and then achanak se dhol music starts in the back <laughs> to show that no 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 this is gujarat it doesn't matter that it says literally says gujarat titans on the logo so i know it's a gujarat no dhol starts and they, and they okay. make references to patang flying in the sky and stuff like that just to patang mera kat gaya hai ye dekh ke i'm like like uh, that happens and then again there's like 10 seconds of lag okay because i think they are dancing okay to the camera but the cameras is not rendering quick enough okay so there's like 10 seconds of lag and then this awkward off time dancing happens with just arms okay no legs and uh, slowly they ha we will see you in the stadium or whatever and then end scene like i was saying just before this podcast recording that gujarati sir famously meet hours and ye to sab ஸ்டிட்டன் <laughs> Uh, this i am i am uh, i am very very eagerly looking forward to this because it is inevitable and this will happen in your houses my friends and you will not be able to laugh because it will be inappropriate endurity tunnel avane avan bhayangra tunnel to this is going to be uh, this is going to be a problem number 2 number 3 why does the metaverse look so shit man has anyone seen a non shit metaverse it is so bad it's like designers there's a bunch of designers who went became unemployed in the early 2000s and are so cheap right now that people are like come back guys come back it looks like you're playing doom it's so bad final bonus point final bonus point i did uh, my b in metallurgical engineering from rec trichy and uh, the course is called meta because apparently it's too difficult to pronounce the rest of this fairly short word yeah so everyone says, oh, so we are we're all very proud of being meta because being meta used to mean a fairly chilled out course placements were not generally a problem because we were very low priced and you know and you know our academic we are all like we are totally into extracurricular activities facebook has fucking ruined it now because <laughs> now when we go and tell now when we go and tell people hey we are meta from rec trichy they are like please go away uh, do not want to talk to you why do you have both your legs and both your arms some part of you has to be missing so it's um, it's really bad so yeah thank you thank you uh, meta in general and gujarat titans in uh, in particular yeah i i'm God. also actually from meta right which this trait uh, both of us also share with sundar pichai i'm guessing it was some slight tactical move from mark zuckerberg to 
make sure sundar pichai's uh, entire past is blemished by renaming it meta so there you go i also wonder if there is a tata division called titan gujarat which is completely confused <laughs> <laughs> everybody yeah, this is this is like problems. when i discovered that uh, there was a team named cincinnati bengals and i said kkr should immediately be renamed bengal cincinnati so some shit like that right? <laughs> but it's okay man if, you, if if somebody ever asks you guys and you're you feel Uh, that it's difficult to defend you can always say you went to meta meta allergy so it's fine oh <laughs> wait wait my uncle end. calls it metal allergy okay hello very good anyway, <laughs> <laughs>